Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Today, my guest is Tunde Arishikola. Tunde is a mineral geologist by training and works as senior advisor, geological and mineral information at the African Union's Africa Mineral Development Center in Addis Ababa. Prior to this, he worked for the Nigerian Geological Survey Agency for more than a decade where his last position was Director National Geoscience Research Laboratories, Kaduna in Nigeria. He is a member of several national and regional professional associations and a researcher who has also authored several reports in the fields of geoscience and geochemistry. Tunde, welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. It's lovely to have you. It's a pleasure, Sila. I'm ready for the program. Thanks very, very much. Uh, I wanted to just ask you uh, to please help define for us this notion of uh, critical minerals. What do we mean by critical minerals? Well, the, the concept of uh, critical mineral actually was uh, introduced recent time by the Europeans due to the apparent uh, effects of pollutions over years where we are beginning to have problems with the ozone layers. The, our planet is not so protected. So an effort is being made. Everybody is talking about climate change, climate change. And um, the solution to it is to look for raw materials that can be used to either prevent or to control the depletion, especially in the zoo layer that is leading to climate change. So some minerals were identified that will assist. So by European concept, because they are the largest, either Europeans and the Americans and the old industrial world are the largest pollutants that we have. So we felt more with them, but Africa is not excluded. So that is why they come up with those minerals that can be used as a palliative, either in production of uh, equipment that will mitigate or to prevent decline in climate change. That's why they are called critical minerals. So very specifically speaking, in the area of uh, decarbonizing the environment, which minerals yes. are considered critical? and why? Now, there are several minerals uh, close to 30 or thereabouts, but about eight of them are very critical because they are basically used in production of uh, equipment and items that will reduce the carbon emissions and then for instance lithium nickel copper cobalt graphite manganese vanadium and of course the one we call the rare hats are used for for instance the, the lithium and some other nickel and copper they use it for lithium batteries these are the batteries that is required during the production of electric motors. 
because it is believed that electric vehicles will, of course, emit no carbon because there will never be any emission. So, more so, rare hard metals, there are several of them, both heavy one and then the light one, as we call them, are used in production of materials used for solar panels. So, that is why they are regarded as critical minerals because it's only these raw minerals mentioned and others I didn't mention that are actually required for the production of those things, be it electric vehicle, be it lithium battery, be it solar panel. And some people even call it green minerals. They call it all sorts of names. It's only Africa that has not uh, really bothered to call it anything. So most of these initiatives to call it the way it's been branded now are actually from Europeans. And these are the minerals required as a raw material and production of all these things I listed, be it electric motor, be it lithium, uh, batteries, or all the necessary raw material for solar panel production. That is why they are critical. Mm. So um, basically, they are critical to the world's agenda on how to decarbonize. And the Europeans have classified them because they understand that they need these minerals, not just to decarbonize, but also to launch, isn't it, a new industrial development order, isn't that so? So it's not, it's not just about decarbonizing, it's also recognizing that if Europe is going to turn uh, the industries from carbon intensive industries to mm -hmm. non-carbon intensive industries and still maintain a level of leadership in industrial mm. and economic development, then they have to access these minerals. This is really what makes them critical to Europe, isn't it? That is it, that is it. Because we, we, we all know that the vehicles we are using now use uh, the fossil fuel. And you see, can imagine the exhaust all over the places. Look at the, most of our industrial complexes, be it in Africa or Europe. They use diesel, they use gasoline, they use all sorts of things. So all this pollute the air and make things really difficult and causing a lot of damage. Okay, so you made an important point, which is that uh, the Europeans have taken a position and said these minerals are critical to our development and, and mm. industrial needs, but also that they are yes. critical for an industry that is uh, low in carbon emissions by nature. Emissions. But you also yeah. recognize that the Africans have not taken a position one or the other. Uh, and, and I have to ask you, um, given that the Europeans are driven by demand by their industries, in their classification. Shouldn't the Africans themselves be looking at themselves and say, for us, what are the minerals that are critical and why? Shouldn't this be a question that African policymakers ask themselves and reach a conclusion on what is critical uh, for the region's own development? 
Sheila, you are, you are very right because uh, when initiatives come, most of the times Africa is behind. And it's not because we don't have the knowledge, but probably we are not speaking with one voice. Many countries in Africa have what they call strategic minerals. Their own strategy was not based on the use vis-a-vis -vis climate need. But one of the duty of uh, AMDC, which is a specialized agency of uh, African Union, is to aggregate the thoughts of all the professionals, be the warehouse where such policy will be initiated and then find a way to disseminate it continental. The Europeans that are making it a projection, the Chinese, they don't have as much as we have. As of today, most of these so-called critical minerals, more than 60% is from African continent. But the problem with the Africa, because we don't have any harmonized position as of today, everybody does his own thing in his own way. This is why the African Union decided that this agency must be revitalized and assembled with people that they believe have the knowledge to come up with the policy positions that will be, or that we expect to be have a buy-in from all the African countries, the 55 African countries to do. So let's, let's take a step back. You have introduced the term strategic. Uh, we started off with the term critical. What's the difference then in your mind between uh, Africa's position of strategic minerals or anybody's position for that matter. What is the difference between strategic and critical minerals as defined by the European raw materials, the strategy team? Actually in Africa it's strategic because uh, we, the, many African countries have the deposits of this, strate this strategic mineral because we are in the position now, it's strategic because it can change the life of our people if they really know the value of these minerals and what the world is waiting for. So it is before now, or even up to now, what they do, because there is no clear policy in Africa, is they come deal with individual countries and then cut away these raw materials in this part of the world. But now we discover that it's symbolic. They needed it more than us, and we have it. So it is strategic to us, and it's critical to them. So it is like a symbolic situation now, that we must know the real value of what we have. Because the problem with Africa is that we don't even know the value of what we have. And the moment you don't have the value of what you have in terms of deposit size, in terms of quality, then you cannot bargain for anything. They just give you the peanuts, and cut away most of these uh, minerals. So it is strategic now because we have to think about it, how we African can benefit more of what is natural endowment for us in Africa, which is also a critical requirement for Europe to, to, to lead or to survive. Because the effect of climate change is being felt all over the world now. But it is, there are more effects in Europeans and Americans and even in China than Africa. So we must see it as an opportunity to be able to benefit more and stop this idea of what we call 
the mining industry drive in and drive out. Most of what is taken out of DRC today is taken to China. Hmm. China will so, process and then redistribute back to Europe and America. That is not that's not good enough for Africa. Yeah. So a couple of things because because you said a lot. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, the effects of climate change. Uh, my understanding is that while the global north accounts for a significant percentage of global emissions. Uh, actually, in the immediate term, quite apart from the ozone layer and the warming of uh, the atmosphere. Yeah. In terms of impact on people, the effects appear to be felt more severely in the South uh, through, for instance, droughts, uh, flooding, and the rising yes. of sea levels in uh, small island states. And, and, and so yes. uh, there is this, if you wish, uh, unfortunate uh, disproportionate impact. The, the other thing I, I think is worth mentioning because you are a geologist and you understand the mm -hmm. complexity of talking about mineral wealth, that you have wealth in yeah. terms of uh, resources, which is to say, knowing that you have the minerals but have not defined them in any specific economic or geologic, geotechnical level. And then you have reserves yes. uh, that have been quantified both geotechnically, geologically and economically. And, and I think it's important, mm -hmm. I say this not to lecture you because that would be preaching to the converted, but I think for the Shila Kama Extractive podcast listeners, it's important for us to just help them understand that it's not so easy to speak uh, specifically about mineral wealth until you go through all these very detailed but co very costly processes of assessing mineral wealth. It's much yeah. more easier, isn't it, Tunde, to assess wealth in terms yes. of production because that is verifiable. I was going to say that, so so it, it, it sometimes I always feel that it's, it's a bit easier if we speak about production in the knowledge that production is verifiable but does not speak entirely to the order of magnitude of wealth because what a company chooses to produce may not necessarily reflect what there is uh, on the ground. It might just be a function of uh, a business plan. And in that respect, we know that, uh, you know, um, the DRC leads in cobalt uh, production uh, up to 60%. And that, to your point, much of it is going to China. But we can also be, uh, we know also that Chile is a major copper producer. We know that Brazil is a major iron ore producer. China is a major coal producer. So it's true that Africa is wealthy, but I think we ought to not leave our listeners with the assumption that Africa leads in all mineral categories. Africa leads in certain minerals, but Australia, parts of Latin America and China, and for that matter, Central Asia are also very well endowed. I think the key is what you said, which is what, how do we use our position strategically to the extent that we are endowed? And that, that I think 
uh, is what is the missing piece in my view. Yeah. Would you uh, perhaps comment on that? Yes. You see, we the way mineral wealth is distributed around the world. There is no continent that don't have something. But what is the problem with uh, Africa, particularly and South America, in terms of value addition? So we need to really look inward and then see how we can. Uh, we can capitalize on what we have. Because let me tell you, there are some, apart from these uh, 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 listed areas I said earlier, one of the richest places in the world where you have uh, bauxite is Africa, specifically in Guinea. If you go to Guinea and you see what is happening, you cry for the, for the continent because it's just linking from the from the mines, there's a conveyor belt from the mines, they just pack it, they, they blast it, they crush it without specific measurement. And they take it straight to the coast and then up to China or Europe or whatever. So um they there are a couple of things. First of all, I, I know Guinea very well, and I know that Guinea has uh, uh, the largest unexplored high-grade uh, resources of both bauxite yes. and iron ore. Bauxite, yes. Uh, I, I also know yes. the company, one of the companies that uh, has been mining bauxite in partnership with the state of Guinea, BC. The, uh, it's a French acronym, B BCG, and uh, yeah. it's considered very successful. And it is true they mine for export. But if if I know BCG very well, is that uh, you know the the ore leaf in Guinea is uh, assessed for both export and tax purposes and royalty. But there may be others who just send it out without. I just think it's 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 fair because I know the company, I know the CEO to be able to say you know uh, how they do it. But to be honest, also I have been to several countries, mining countries, including Australia. As you know, Pilbara, which is in Western Australia, is the heartland of iron ore mining. Oh. In Pilbara, they do the same. They mine the ore, they are right on shore. And once the iron ore has come out, weighed, uh, assessed, it goes straight on a conveyor belt. And it, I think it goes on uh, trains and goes straight onto a ship. So to be fair, Africa is not the only uh, region in which minerals are mined and exported raw. The key is whether there are laws and systems that are good enough to be able to audit the mineral content and be able to levy our royalty and other uh, taxes proportionate to the value of the ore. That is the question. But the, the formula itself is one that is applied uh, universally. Now, 
I wanted to just say that, you know, for, for, for credibility's sake. The one thing I, I wanted to ask you is this. Can I come in where, uh, just before you leave that? Uh, yes, of what course. Is happening? During my visit, there are many of my colleagues who are there. The question we ask is that, why are they taking it out? Why is it that it cannot be processed here? I understand the, the, the point and the argument of, of value uh, addition. Uh, and, and I think that is a, a, an essential subject uh, in its own uh, right and needs to be looked at. Uh, I did have a value addition session uh, sometimes last year uh, and, and tried to discuss some of the issues. Uh, but I want to come back to how we can leverage strategic minerals. You are advocating that mm -hmm. an important point of departure is for African countries to know what they have geologically. And I wanted to ask you, um, is this uh, something that you envisage happening regionally or at a national level? Because what I know is that Almost every country on the continent already has a geological survey. You worked for the geological survey in your country. So why do we need to go to Addis Ababa uh, and not have the federal government in Nigeria just have a budget and say, look, we're going to engage geologists. We're going to fly this country. Uh, we're going to uh, undertake airborne geological uh, data collection. We're going to do drilling programs. We're going to have uh, laboratories. We're going to analyze the mineral content and we're going to catalog this. Why does it require 55 heads of states to do something like this? But you see, the point is this, the level of development in various African countries is not the same. They need a platform of those who are well endowed and well advanced to be in a position to assist other African countries. That is why we have Africa you know, in the first place, so that we can, we can have a, a, a synergy. A lot of African countries are doing a lot on their own. Even my own country, they do happen. I know South Africa have been doing a lot. Every African has been in the mining industry for over 100 years. The same thing Namibia and some other, but it's not the same. In Nigeria Republic, for instance, where they have a lot of endowment of uranium, and it's only the foreigners that are on the field there, not the natives. So the, 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 what the Addis needs to do is just a coordination in terms of policy, in terms of sharing ideas. We need somebody to, 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 to act as a warehouse for policy formulation that can benefit everybody continentally. Well. I mean, I, I, I defer to you because uh, I am not particularly versed uh, on the issues of the, the AU. Uh, so I defer to you that this is the pathway and that this pathway will indeed take us there. But I did want to ask you, um, so it's true that we have the African Union Commission and then we have the European Commission and it's... Uh, raw material strategy team and so forth and yeah. so forth. But I think there's a layer or a facet of this picture that is missing. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you are advocating that the countries must come together, peer learning, have, have uh, programs uh, that uh, support uh, knowledge of geological wealth. Uh, the Europeans seem to me to have a different approach. They, they are operating at bilateral level among themselves saying, we will classify these and we will have policies and we will support countries, companies that are aligned with us, but they don't do the exploration. They fund certain, I know they funded some countries, uh, Airborne Geophysical Survey in Ghana, for instance, and other regions. But actually, when it comes to mineral exploration, it's left to companies to go out yes. and invest and take the risk. Are you suggesting that in Africa, it that space should be occupied by governments? And then what happens no. thereafter? Do the no. governments then mine? No. No. Where is the line of divide between the work of the geological survey and the work of explorers seeking uh, to find minerals and to develop them? How do you draw that line of divide, Tunde? The line is well drawn already. The, the responsibility of any survey anywhere in the world is to provide 10% information, basic information. Because no company will come to your country and start from the scratch. You, the geological survey is supposed to work and provide 10% information of the geology and the mineral endowment of that country. That is what any survey is expected to do. So um, you talk about 10%, again, for the sake of clarity. Uh, yeah. The 10% the really, you are referring to the uh, depth of knowledge. You are, you are yeah. referring to the difference between a high level uh, reconnaissance survey that merely speaks to geological potential, but does yes. not uh, actually identify mineral deposits. So, so of course, what that means, Tunde, is that even if the countries do this, uh, all it does, to your point, is that it provides enough data for the private sector to be able to say there is enough potential in this country for the type of mineral I'm interested in exploring. But at the end of the day, the investment in exploration, getting more defined information, drilling, yeah. analyzing the rock yeah. that has been extracted is yeah. a risk that is left to the private sector. That risk uh, is what really creates the tension because once you invest in that exploration, naturally you then have a business plan. You have been funded by others. They have an expectation of you and unless there is alignment between that company's own strategy, investment and otherwise, and the country, then it can be problematic. If, if, if companies feel they're gonna take this investment, make this investment rather, and then be dictated upon, and then have their financial plans ruined, then uh, to your point, this lack of resources will continue. As you yourself know, exploration in the region has declined significantly over the last uh, 20 yeah. years on account of what is perceived as 
regulatory instability. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and so those, are, I hope, are some of the things that uh, the center is uh, addressing. I, I did want to ask you something else, uh, Tunde. I mean, okay. we, we realize that there, there is this, this gap, lack of resources, lack of exploration uh, activities, um, loss of investment in upstream. I mean, have we looked at what the opportunity cost to the continent is at the time when there is a need to invest in knowing the availability of critical and strategic minerals. Do we know what it's costing? Because I think you and I know this, Europe is classifying these minerals critical now because there is a certain uh, industrial development trend. They are following the science of innovation and the science of industrial mm -hmm. demand. When that uh, innovation and that technology changes, these minerals will be declassified and that opportunity uh, will be lost. Do, um, yeah. I mean, how are we managing the risk that we don't move fast enough to capitalize on this opportunity? Yes, these are part of the work we, we need to draw to our, our, all the member states because Africa has missed several opportunities. Because you and I know, Sheila, that mineral industry always have boom and bust. And at every point in time, particular set of mineral will be the hot cake. But you see, the first thing is to actually follow the trend as it is today, maximize whatever it is. Why we also give an account of all the mineral resources we have. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until it becomes things that everybody is searching for. We, should, we need an advanced information about all the mineral endowments in Africa. Fantastic. Well, that's a good note to end our conversation, Tunde. Thank you very much for joining the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs>